0: I came in like a wanna hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah. Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full-spectrum source for all things music, insight, and opinion. My name is Bill, and I'm joined here today with Connor and Steve. Yo. Hello. Today is August 26th, 2019, for those of you listening on the day that it comes out. Um, what have you guys encountered this week that was new or interesting?
1: So... Again, I'm going to call these my Rebecca Uh My fiance goes on Reddit to find a lot of like underground or, you know, not so talked about music. Um, one of these bands I found out about, um, I listened to a lot of it's almost like death thrash, but it's more of a cleaner vocal style. So, like mm-hmm. bands like Toxic Holocaust is a like a really big one. Municipal Waste that crossover vibe. Um, the band is called Wraith. I mean, most of their stuff is from like the later two thousands, like tens plus. And the, there's a couple albums, Absolute Power, that came out in two thousand nineteen, and Heed the Warning, uh, that came out the year before in twenty eighteen. But if you're a fan of like. I don't even want to say Lamb of God, but like that th- more thrashy, groovy metal yeah. with like those catchy one, two riffs, mm-hmm. you know, that you can like kind of skank to or whatever. But um, yeah, this band is really good. I was listening to them yesterday and I'm like, all right. Like you get like that catchy riff and you just like, yeah, like you just like, want to get into it. Yeah. Yeah, I can feel yeah, that. Yeah, it's a good band. The band's called Wraith, but they're, yeah, check them out. They're pretty fucking awesome.
0: Awesome. What do you got, Connor?
2: I just saw a band the other night in Philly called Evil Sword. They were real like theatric. Yeah. And they had like flutes and lutes and trumpets and <laughs> no guitar and it was it was real good. Well what, what was Evil their Sword. music like? Folk? You just have to listen to it.
0: Like like shit you hear at like the Renaissance fair?
2: Not too far from it.
0: That's pretty cool, though. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm it was about cool that. to see it
2: live for sure.
0: Like, I feel like it takes like a certain level of like musical competence to be able to play that kind of shit. Uh, like, yeah. And to like, it's different if you're playing like in a band with like a drummer and a bass player and a guitar player. Like, I don't know. I almost feel like. Well, think about like, like Ian easier.
1: Anderson from Jethro Tull up there doing flute solos.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: I mean, that takes a different level of confidence as well as talent, I would say. <laughs> Dude, to be up there in a leotard, just rock and flute solos.
0: Well, I can tell you from experience that playing saxophone when I used to play in band was way more difficult than playing guitar ever was. Oh, yeah. like, Like, to be able... Like, you think about, like, the way, like, an orchestra or a band or playing a not-stringed instrument, like, you think about that and imagine, like, more than, like, fucking five of you. Oh, of course, like, to make sure everybody's in tune, like that there's just I don't know, like I always have like a certain level of respect for bands that incorporate that kind of you know. Like yeah, like think about
1: you know early jazz musicians like Coltrane and Davis. If you yeah. listen to their music, it just sounds chaotic. But then you have artists like that's a big thing with like bands like even like death metal bands like Cynic, the jazz fusion aspect yeah. of it, where they take these time signatures and take that chaos and make a different sound of music. But when you hear like yeah the saxophones and the pianos, yeah. it just sounds like people are smashing away. But if you understand it, it's like a whole different level. Well,
0: probably one of the biggest examples in rock music would be like Bruce Springsteen in the, in the E Street Band. Yeah. yeah, like, dude, he's got almost a full fucking orchestra with him.
1: It's a shame his voice sucks.
0: Well, this was yeah. not like
2: that. This was
1: <laughs> no. like sparse.
2: Yeah, this was not. This like was like the beginning epic. of yeah. like a
1: um, you know, like a jousting match where you just have like the band come out. Kind, it was just like the crown. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um,
2: like you have like a jester's dance. Two drummers that had bells like fixated on their drums.
0: Oh shit, that's cool.
2: And then a bassist and. Yeah. I have one, to ask this question
1: one. was anybody in the band wearing a fedora or suspenders?
2: Maybe suspenders.
1: They were dressed like uh,
2: medieval, like they were wearing they pe- like they, they, dirty know. clothes and stuff. They, they even wear know.
0: armor? No. That would be cool. Could you I imagine if like enjoy. the singer came out wearing like a full fucking knight's armor? Yeah. That'd be <laughs> pretty cool actually.
2: Evil sword.
0: <laughs> um the what I found newer interesting was um I got a text message from a good friend. Mr. John Limbeck. you know who he is, Connor. Oh yeah, Thomas um, Sexton's former drummer. Exactly. His, his band Mini Meltdowns released um a song off their new EP that comes out October 4th on his record label Goodland Records. The song's called I Want to Die. <laughs> oh yes.
1: It, Every millennial's feeling at this point in
0: time. <laughs> I heard it, dude, and I loved it. Yeah, you showed it to me. I didn't
2: realize it was called I Want to Die, but um it, it was a good song. Yeah. It had a really good uh had really good leads
0: yeah um John's the singer guitar player and drummer on the track, and he had a guitar player come in to do the solo and uh the bass player is it's basically mini meltdowns. it's just them two, and they got the guy play guitar but um yeah, um, I was in talk to them, and he's gonna wind up coming on this show sometime in the near future and talk some Benjamin's talk some Benjamins talk some Stinsons. oh yeah, that sounds many meltdowns. Me. But, yeah, so stay tuned for that. On this day in music history...
2: 1970, the five-day Isle of Wight Festival kicks off in England, boasting a very impressive lineup, including Bob Dylan, Joan Baez, Joni Mitchell, Donovan, Jethro Tull, Miles Davis, Emerson, Lick, and Palmer, The Doors, The Who, Spirit, The Moody Blues, Chicago, Procol Harem, Sly and the Family Stone, Free, and in his last concert appearance in England, Jimi Hendrix. Like, what the fuck?
0: That's a festival
2: right that's there, boy. That's a fucking festival, yeah, dude. Yeah, that's, that's like Woodstock level. And I sure. get...
1: You know, I get like newer generations don't appreciate the value of these artists. I mean, because yeah. like I, I maybe mean, I mentioned this before, like when in high school you would show somebody a certain band, like oh, it came out in '86. I mentioned yeah. this last week with that idea, but it's just I was going to bring this up later on, but since it's ironically mentioned, I mean, the Isle of Wight Festival, uh, they did you know several live albums as a result. The Who. That was where they really—they actually played a lot of songs off Tommy. They had a whole middle oh, okay. ground where they played songs off Tommy to really get the live experience of the album. Yeah, but like Tommy, neither did I. I really eh, don't like I'm the fucking album Tommy at all. Yeah. But this live album. It's it's hailed as one of the greatest live recordings by any rock and roll artist. The album itself is just one of those live albums that I can put on CD or put in, you know, play off my phone and it's you feel like you're fucking there, dude. They put on such a great show. The um, only who song or piece of work worth it to me won't get fooled again, Eminence Front.
2: Really? Eminence Front? Okay. You're it's a Boris the Spider Twist? guy, aren't you? Nah, I hate that song. Boris the Definitely Spider. Cover that. <laughs> nah, I'm just kidding. I'm just not a Who fan. But <laughs> yeah, I like I, it, Front. It's I'm funny because
1: yeah, the Who's very generic for me, is- <laughs> for me too. But that's what these bands like. Even with like Allman Brothers, Led Zeppelin's different. I have a better album experience than I do with Live. But this Who album, like, I don't really listen to like uh, what is it? You no, know, won't we'll get, f- not won't get full. Who's next? Like Led Zeppelin Live? No, I do but i'm saying i can enjoy their album experience just as much certain oh, okay. bands it's like i don't really even listen to their lps or studio releases because i do enjoy um the live versions better and this Isle of white festival someone sent it to me because that's the thing i'm like a very just basic who fan but i listened to this album I'm like
0: oh fucking k hmm. not bad didn't this person also suggest the uh second corn album too
1: he actually did, what is and that? like honestly Follow suggested leader? it, and it was funny because I got a text message after 15 minutes because he knew I was listening to it. And he's like, "Dude, I I just listened to it again. I'm sorry. Like, you can turn it off now." I was like, "Thank fucking god," because that's how I am. Like, I'll listen. I'll give everything a chance. Like, I won't be afraid to like an artist just because it's typically not liked by my genres or whatever. Yeah, but exactly. Tell you right now, the corn second album, whole piece of shit. What was whole- that? Follow the leader. So yeah, the second album, yeah, it is. Life is peachy. '96. I mean, the singles were no place to hide. Adidas as an acronym and Good God. I mean, it's just it's it's bad, dude. <laughs> and it's funny because I hate on Corn a lot, same way I hate on like Limp Biscuit because of that whole '90s new metal scene that was like spawned during a time of generational change where people were wearing like Janko jeans and shit yeah, like exactly. that. So I respect it appealed at that. Point yeah, in I time. grew up in there, so I have nostalgic value behind it. Like their first album, I'm not gonna lie, it's not bad. It's not bad, but yeah. this album, I don't mind dude. The first album that's the all. only one I have is the first one. Yeah, this dude, look, go listen to "Life Is Peachy." Life won't. is certainly not <laughs> peachy while you listen to that fucking peachy If of I shit. could never
2: muster the strength to listen to um, "Follow the Leader" or issues, yeah, that's probably not happening. For Put it this PG. way: if you're
1: at the end of your fucking rope, remember how, like, um, <laughs> you know, uh, what's his face? Why can't I think of his name from Joy Division? How did Ian Curtis? Ian Curtis, yeah, how he died with the idiot playing. Oh, this yeah. is the type of album you have, just like repeating on vinyl while you're found. Allegedly, Kirk Cobain <laughs> was
2: listening to Automatic for the
1: People. Great album. Mm-hmm. Hmm. good call interesting to move on because we were talking about the Isle of Wight festival and now we're talking about suicide <laughs> from Corn's second album this just yeah I don't know how you got drastically from fucking Isle of well this, ju- uh, this gentleman uh, recommended because it, it was a simultaneous recommendation yeah. of the Isle of Wight live album by The Who as well as Corn's second LP and you could just see the dynamics and fucking schizophrenic genre choice at this point point.
2: 1973 at the Hilton in Las Vegas Bobby Darin plays his final concert the singer dies on December 20th um, Splish Bobby plash. Darren was yeah at one point huge. Yeah, he was um kind of like right there with Frank Sinatra. Yeah, basically, I, I would say that that's um, a safe assumption. Rest in peace, Bobby Darren. Beyond oh, the God. Sea, nineteen seventy eight. Frankie Valli's "Grease," the title track to the blockbuster film, hits number one
1: in America. You How know, do we feel about this film, dude? Hold on, I, I really? It. Yeah,
0: I want to say that that song is probably one of the coolest intro songs in a movie. Oh
1: yeah, dude. Like, the, the, bing! Yeah. Well, even the fucking movie itself, dude, you figure, I mean. I'm Never not gonna, gonna say I develop a lot of my style based off of that whole greaser image, but I do yeah. enjoy that whole aspect. Like I wish I was like in my prime, the '50s, living oh, like that. Hell yeah. And awesome. Grease made it like kind of more of a fun environment. Because watching it as a kid, I probably wouldn't like it as much if I had seen it as a grown adult. Yeah. I'm not a huge musical type person. The storyline in there was great, but See, I saw it as a kid and I hated it. That's it the thing. I, <laughs> I I I think it was just like one of those things where it was like an earwig. It just got in there and it was too catchy to avoid. Yeah. You know, grease is the
0: word. Is yeah. the word. Have you heard? Dude, that song's so good. Yeah, was I it was Blue Lightning, dude? That.
1: Huh? Blue Lightning, grease lightning, grease. Oh, duh. I was watching that. grease
0: lightning. Yeah, dude.
1: <laughs> <laughs> me tell watching me more,
0: that. Tell me more. Tell <laughs> me What were you saying, Connor? Um, that he doesn't like. That was movie.
2: like the '70s Backstreet Boys to me as a kid. What? Grease? Like that type of music. Yeah. Mm, just like
0: i don't know man i think you need to watch greece again
2: start with greece too i think you <laughs> all <laughs> so can really appreciate need to question michelle
0: pfeiffer's son <laughs> yeah entertainment choices in the past. i don't know greece is one of those movies it's just like one of them like like american cinema movies like you can't say that you're a movie fan and like never saw greece or at least have a, a decent opinion on it
1: yeah uh and that's the thing, I, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's one of John Travolta's best roles. Yeah. I wouldn't say that. Wait, of who?
0: Travolta. Next to Face Off.
1: Highly debatable. I mean, you're going to do Saturday Night Fever, too. Also yeah. not a fan.
0: Nah, I'm not even a fan of that movie. I've no, actually never seen role.
2: Saturday Night Fever. It's all right.
0: I like the soundtrack. I never watched the movie, though. Interesting. Never seen this. Disco sucks, man. <laughs> it
2: really does. 1993, a recording of the Beatles playing Kansas City and some other guy at the Cavern Club in Liverpool in 1962 fetches a record of approximately 32000 American dollars at Christie's Auction House in London. Wow. This Christie's
0: Auction House, they have a lot of Beatles shit. Remember yeah. a few uh, while ago, we were talking about that? It was like, like the a guitar
1: that was sold for fucking. They had
0: the Kirk from- Cobain pizza plate too. Yeah, fucking Reverb
2: right now has a. Uh, a duo Sonic owned by John Lennon. They want like $70,000. Did
1: worth. you just see the wow. guitar that Dwayne Allman had that he recorded um, Layla with? Yes. Sold for like $1.6 million, mm. dude.
0: Layla! Holy fuck. You got me on my knees, Dude, I
1: love that song. It's a great song. Yeah. That's why I really respect Dwayne Allman. He's a phenomenal guitarist, dude. Derek
2: and the Dominoes
1: is like the only Eric Clapton stuff, stuff I really right, like. Yeah, exactly. Well, Cream, yeah. Cream's, Cream's right. okay. Yeah, but his solo stuff is hit or miss with me. You
0: know what's funny? At my wedding, my one request was to have that whole piano outro to Layla oh playing God. during cocktail hour. Yeah. And Nicole was like, absolutely not.
1: That's a why? beautiful, beautiful piece of music. Dude. I
0: don't know. She, she says that's the only part in the song she doesn't like.
1: Really, yeah. Every time I hear that song, I think of when they're discovering all the bodies and good, yeah, goodfellas. So good, dude.
0: Dude, I love that part of that song. And plus, Great. it's like one of those things. It's like, like I can imagine like eating dinner to that like every night. Yeah, it's like and slow, then getting whacked, but it's moving. <laughs> yeah, dude. and then getting my fucking throat cut while I am eating my spaghetti or something. Oh yeah,
1: my pasta. That's the lead up before like a big mob hit. <laughs> every time.
2: 1995, Seal's Kiss from a Rose hits number one in the U.S. after being used in the movie Batman Forever. I owe my career to Joel Schumacher, Seal said, referring to the film's director. I never realized Seal wasn't. I thought Seal was older than that.
0: Baby.
1: You know, it's funny because I was just telling you guys before. Big uh, Seal fans? No, here's the, the thing, though. good. And my father listens to this, so he'll attest to this if he's ever asked. This song, for some reason, because I was a huge fucking Batman Forever, uh, you know, Kid. fan. And, yeah, exactly. That and and Tommy Lee Jones is, in it, right? Yes. Yeah. And Jim Carrey yeah, as Jim well Carrey. as the Riddler. But here's the funny thing. Growing up, I realized, holy shit, that's a piece of shit movie. The yeah. movie sucks, dude. It's very cartoonish. It's the cartoonish. worst one. The the worst one. No. Oh, yeah. You dude. think
0: so? You think it's better, or worse than Batman and Robin? Which one came first? forever, forever.
2: yeah oh yeah maybe batman i don't know if i ever saw batman but i'm just saying it's even both of them, i'm it. telling you right now the oh, val yeah, kilmer yeah, the val kilmer era worse. in general yeah.
1: the val kilmer era in general is just not they so got worse bad, each time throughout they really the 90s. did
2: like the first one was good and then what was the second one called well you had batman and then you had
1: uh was it batman forever after that yeah now Forever. two with uh you had the joker one and then you had the one with penguin yeah, the two with what's his face. I yeah, but that was Keaton. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But yeah, I'm talking yeah, about. They yeah, were all counts, like a yeah. part of the yeah, same I thought thing. Like they the were. The first
0: Batman was Keaton, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, and the, yeah. And yeah the, the, the original Batman too. had the Penguin in it.
1: No, that was the second one. The first one was the Joker by um what's this, Jack Nicholson? Uh, Jack Nicholson. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Then it became the Val Kilmer era.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh no! Actually, no. This was the fucking. When was the Clooney era?
2: Batman Returns. Bat-
1: That's what, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there we go. That's Clooney was, was Batman and Robin. Yeah, that was that was bad. Yeah, Batman Returns. Yeah, was but badass. George Clooney
0: was a good Batman.
1: Though. That's what I'm saying, but the movies themselves yeah. were just the they supporting were cast was yeah, but it's funny cuz as a kid again, there's the nostalgia kick yeah. and,
0: and this fucking song. Do you remember was, the promotional thing that, that Taco Bell did? No. Like if you got like a Nacho's Bell Grande or something, you had a chance to win the Batmobile from Batman and Robin.
1: Like the actual Yeah, like the actual fucking oh car that you can't drive God. on the
0: street with the jet. <laughs> I'm you not imagine, gonna lie.
1: Yeah, you imagine being in like your mid thirties, someone comes over, be like, by the way, come to my backyard, check this out. Net show Del Grande got me this bad boy back in ninety-seven. You know?
0: You know, it's funny, it makes you wonder if you actually get that shit. You yeah. know? I mean, because as a kid, we you know, then the internet wasn't it isn't what it is now. Like, I yeah. wonder if we can go on there and search if someone actually won that fucking car.
1: I would like to know that as well. Yeah. There were so many things back in our time that were like promised to us if we enrolled <laughs> in these like sweepstakes and shit.
0: If uh if you currently own the Batmobile from Batman and Robin, please contact us at our ATM podcast at gmail.com. We would like to take a ride in the car. Yeah, we need the
1: closure as well to know if that car was actually given to some individual during that time period. That car's probably about, in shambles by now. You Definitely. think so? Yeah, it's probably like... Dude probably sold it for crack. It's out, man. i got the Batmobile <laughs> from Batman Forever. Come on over. <laughs>
0: Hey man, can I get like two times? I only need like <laughs> twenty bucks.
2: I like how we just completely abandoned Seal to talk about Batman. <laughs> I
1: try to bring up the nostalgia with me and my father. I mean, I'm like a fucking you know seven year old boy walking around singing Seal, and what I a was weird a seven year
0: old boy housing down fucking Nachos Belgrande, hoping so to get, to get that Batman movie.
2: <laughs> that's that's fucking marketing right there. I was just watching it on VHS by myself, <laughs> still loathing over Greece. <laughs>
0: but yeah, Seal, it was awesome. Yeah,
2: <laughs> great song, very memorable. 2005 a post office in los angeles is officially renamed after singer ray charles due to its close proximity to the studio where he recorded later
0: in life i heard they're going to rename rowan university rage against the mainstream university because we're so close to it it would make sense yeah that's uh allegedly
1: i heard something about it <laughs> yeah it was not the huffington post or the onion
0: yeah chive chive e-bombs world Yeah, (laughs) hardtimes.net. Tell us, sir. Kerrang.
2: 2016, Ann Wilson's husband is arrested for assault after getting physical with Nancy Wilson's 16-year-old twin sons, causing a rift between the Hart sisters who finished their tour using separate dressing rooms and avoiding contact.
0: That's crazy. Yeah, why would Ann Wilson's
2: husband mess with Nancy Wilson's
0: sons? Then again, we don't know his side of the story. We just know that she was pissed off. I mean, maybe they were being little cocksuckers. You know, I mean, anything's possible. This is
1: like the direct result of having like an adult that just doesn't know how to talk to a kid that's like somewhat adultish. So then you think like, I'm gonna fuck you up and you forget like, dude, you (laughs) can't do that. I mean, you figure 2016. How old do you think this guy is? I'm not even Uh, gonna go out of my way to look, but he's definitely young. They could have bagged a young buck in
0: 2016. I mean, uh, I'm not they're saying they're any they're younger than like mid 30s. Shit, probably even older than that.
1: That's what I'm saying, but we, even if we go young enough to mid 30s, you figure like a th- like that's like my father squaring up what a 16-year-old. That's weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you figure in yeah, 2016 year old, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That that kid probably said some slick shit and he didn't know how to handle himself. He just yeah, like sold That's, that's I mean. why rock and roll like, tours are not
2: up. Family affairs. You don't bring exactly your very true hu- husbands and wives and kids sixteen year, nep- especially sixteen year olds.
1: Well, like
0: that's the thing. Like you. I was an asshole at sixteen. Like think if you guys would have said some slick shit to my dad, what he would have fucking done. And he if he was not toward a
2: world famous rock band, <laughs> he or, have like his me, wife dude. or whatever. Like, like, yeah,
0: like imagine if my mom was in fucking heart and you guys had talked some shit to my dad. Yeah, he Yo, yeah.
1: Like, oh no. yeah, he probably came out him all crazy. Like, Absolutely, last time you paid the AT and T.
0: Bill, you broke bitch, and he was like, <laughs> boom, like it's just over. Music news. Today in music news, August 26th, 2019. First thing in music news, as I lay dying, announced first album with Tim Lambesis since his Didn't return. Other
2: guy, like, go to jail or something. This is him. Oh, oh.
0: he's back. Yeah, he, he's out. Um. It's saying here, As Lay Dying have announced uh, their first studio album since uh, re- reuniting with vocalist Tim Lambesis. The album, Shaped by Fire, will be released via Nuclear Blast Records.
2: Didn't he go to jail for some like crazy shit? Yeah, he tried to hire a hitman
0: to kill his wife. He claimed uh, insanity. I guess
2: As Lay Dying's cool with that.
0: It's, it's actually crazy because they're a... Um, they're a Christian metal band. And like he was like really about his faith and shit.
2: And doesn't seem very Christian to me.
0: Well, he was on steroids and shit and he claimed insanity from roid rage and, you know, abuse of the drug and whatnot. And I mean he served I think it was like five years or something. Full of shit. Yeah. He I mean, He's trying his to his boys
2: he, with a bunch of Christian people couldn't divorce his wife, wanted out from his wife.
0: Yeah, well, that's it's crazy the because they had, was. um, I think they had like three or four kids, adopted kids, and like on paper, dude, he was like this like Christian fucking perfect dude, and behind closed doors, like, you know, crazy shit happens, and he hired a fucking undercover cop. He thought he was hiring a hitman, and he went up hiring a fucking undercover yeah. cop. Yeah, got him so locked crazy. the fuck up. I mean, that's that, Um, this album has that song I showed you, My Own Grave. But that song came out like last year, which is weird. I guess they were waiting uh, for their signing with Nuclear Blast. That just happened. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. It says um, the band debuted their, fire, uh, their fiery new music video directed by Mathis Arnell alongside the album announcement. The album's title track and official music video are now on YouTube for those as LA dying fans and fans of guys trying to kill their wives. I'm for
2: one boycotting as lay dying.
1: I'm. Not, I wasn't even like a huge fan to begin with. I yeah, like was what right. is the notion between us? Uh, sound of truth. Or I do like that song. Maya grave,
0: But I, I. know you're not. A yeah, I've fan never
1: been a huge. And to me personally, I wouldn't go out of my way to boycott the situation. But this would weigh slightly more to say like I just don't even want to fucking listen to you. There um, it is. Yeah, this isn't like a deal breaker because I was already on the fence of just not caring about it as I lay down yeah. to begin with. But this is kind of just you know, We're it's gonna just, record more music with this guy. That's Uh like when you see someone getting reinstated in the NFL after fucking doing some nut shit and you see him back, you know, I just Michael Vick. Yeah, well, even Michael Vick. But I'm just saying just other people get banned for such crazy circumstances for like smoking weed. Then you see the guy who like committed some sort of like abuse or something or domestic violence and four games, six games. Yeah, but you're back making your millions and same with this guy, like really dealt with no consequence outside of like what he dealt with in between time. But now he's back with the band. Yeah, he can carry on like nothing happened.
0: I mean, uh, I have seen a lot of statements that he's done since and he's turning everything around or at least trying to and he's helping with addiction centers and there's you know, he's 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 trying to do right. I mean, that doesn't take away from what he tried to do or an attempted to do and almost succeeded in doing. But I mean, I'm not going to boycott them based on that because it's just one douchebag in a band of five guys, you know. Uh, I mean, it's the
1: crazy, theory. too, because yeah. like, you have to listen to his voice.
0: That's true. You said like
1: in the fact that when you just put it out there, like almost succeeded. Like, does he regret it? Because he got he's one of those. I regret it because I got caught type guys, because once yeah. he got it in motion, let's say this wasn't an undercover cop. What it? We got in motion. And it actually fucking happened. I mean, he may live with regret, but he's never being the one to actually go do it. So he can just well, sit I back think, and then find out that it actually honestly, though, point. I
0: feel like if this did go through. He either a would have done even crazier shit next, oh yeah, or he would have died. That there, there was only two options yeah. after that. If he would have succeeded,
1: or he could be like, yeah, like how you say, crazier shit, like pat. Well, and that's some, from some serious corpse. Yeah, search his house and find skulls, skeletons, and guns.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's some serious dirt that this hitman would have had. on oh, this Oh yeah, too. dude, absolutely. The extortion or, you know, would have been nuts, Trump man. You know.
0: Next thing we got here in music news is Mike Posner suffers a rattlesnake bite, derailing his cross-country trek. Uh, Mike Posner is on a trek across the continental U.S. The singer was over halfway through his ambitious task before suffering a setback, causing him to be airlifted to a new nearby hospital. Posner suffered a rattlesnake bite during his journey through Colorado. According to TMZ, Posner had uh, already completed a 16-mile walk with a hopeful eight more to go for the day before the baby snake unexpectedly bit him. Uh, Posner offered an update on Instagram assuring fans of his health and well-being. He also vowed to continue his walk once he's back on his feet in a few weeks. Um, It's saying in quotes here, What up, though? Crazy day yesterday. I just crushed 16 miles going for another eight more when I got bit by a baby rattlesnake. That venom is no joke. I got to the hospital and got the anti-venom in time. Shoutouts to G and Mike from the Chopper team and Bo and Cassie and Whitney, my nurses. I'll be here a few days and will not be able to walk for several weeks, but enjoying the AC and the nice bed. Haven't had those in a while. Ha 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 ha. Can't wait to get back on the walk. Keep going. Deep. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um sounds like forrest gump.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I just
0: started walking and and I just didn't stop. <laughs> I ran until I couldn't run no more.
2: <laughs> it's pretty much what we got going on here.
0: <laughs> uh we wish him a speedy recovery. I mean, rattlesnake bites are no joke. I mean, he's Definitely lucky not. he didn't
2: die. He's lucky he has a a good chopper and nurse team.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Last thing in music news, Slipknot showgoer dies after reportedly collapsing outside of Mosh Pit. One Slipknot fan has died after collapsing outside the Mosh Pit at one of the band stops in the Knotfest Roadshow. The gig took place at the Hollywood Casino Amphitheater in Tinley Park, Illinois. According to reports, the fan is 62-year-old Richard Valadez.
2: 62 years old. Yeah, that's too old to be going to a Slipknot show well, yeah. and not just sitting in
1: a chair. And that's what I'm saying. Yourself. Exactly. Now, it's an amphitheater, so...
2: Rest in peace, of course, I feel
1: bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's horrible. But here's the thing. This is... Should be learned from. So you realize, like, amphitheaters, obviously, with us having the bb and you have the lawn section, and typically most people invest in that because you have the opportunity to move around. And exactly. It's also, too, he's definitely a fan. He's at the show. Somehow mm-hmm. he was close enough, and that's, like, the scary part because I go to shows... I have spots where I pick where I know I can stand if I want, but I'm close enough to the pits that if like a fucking exactly. song comes on it, I'm really into it, I'll go to the pits. Now, this guy, it's scary because he was probably standing there in some pits all of a sudden just well, fucking. Shrewd.
0: It says here that Valdez was apparently moshing with other fans when he was knocked to the ground. He began seizing up and uh, some confusion led to a delay in getting him medical assistance. He was pronounced dead later in the evening. According to the cook County medical examiner's office, the exact details about the cause of death or circumstances that led to the incident are currently unknown. The medical examiner in the area area is currently working on a pending autopsy. That's crazy. Um, you know, rest in peace, uh, Richard Valadez. It's, I mean, that sucks.
1: Yeah. And, um, You know, obviously, aside from this, this actually brings me to what I was hoping we would discuss today as well. Um, You know, Slipknot, it's ironic because most of their trending stuff is about what had just happened, but currently, at the time, Slipknot is, like, releasing new music. Yeah. Um, And then that's the shameful thing about it, too, because they have this new album. Uh, It's actually released August 9th. Um, It's called We Are Not Your Kind, and it's, like, they're starting to tour and establish, and then Mm -hmm. here we go. I mean, in this way things like this tend to affect record sales tend yeah, to affect exactly. following tend to affect appreciation and also fan support. And it's just on a totally separate subject of the incident that occurred. It makes me think of like how many albums just came out in a time, you know, and obviously due to certain circumstances either didn't sell well or just didn't get the recognition and kind of were overlooked until decades later or just never even appreciated. Yeah. time.
0: I mean, it it's crazy that that kind of shit happens. Yeah. I mean, um, like for instance, um like Van Halen released Diver down in the eighties mm-hmm. or nineteen eighty two they released Diver down, and at the time, it was one of their like worst albums, and the only reason for that was that it was basically a covers album, yeah, like seventy percent of the album was covers. that's where you had like dancing in the streets and wherever the good time's gone. Um, but you also had Pretty Woman, right? Yeah, Pretty Woman was on there. And that's
1: funny because that's like a huge radio song that most yeah. people think is a
0: Van Halen track. Exactly. I mean, you probably. I mean, the casual music fan will probably attribute Pretty Woman to Van Halen more than they would Ray Orbison. Yeah, Roy Orbison. Rather. I would agree with that. Even Dancing in the Streets. Yeah, they, they would probably uh, put it out to the Van Halen version instead of the Diana Ross one. There's actually that band that's out now, the Struts. You ever heard them? Yeah. They did a cover of it. Heard them on, uh, what, 94.5 or 93.3? 93.3. 93.3. A, lot,
1: 93.3 a lot. Their cover yeah. of
0: that's actually really good. I was surprised. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say it was one of the best David Lee Roth era albums, but it definitely doesn't deserve to be so, like, not hated, but yeah, not as coveted. Because it is a really good album. And, you know, the... um. There's a song on there that no one you guys probably never even heard of before it's called Secrets and it's just something that's so out of the ordinary for Van Halen and I feel like that song got overlooked because of the fact that that album wasn't as critically acclaimed as the previous 3 I believe it was Van Halen 1 2 and Women and Children First I it, it's just crazy that um it's crazy that something so fucking dumb can attribute to albums not being what they could have been
1: yeah and that's what's funny too because aside from the incident like when we mentioned with the slipknot thing that's like just bad timing yeah i mean like a lot of albums just kind of slip and it's funny it's not until years later that they get rediscovered i mean connor you'll be able to talk about this more than me but i'm pretty sure my information like think about like nevermind nevermind was released and it didn't blow up until like after the christmas season it had sat there because you watch certain nirvana shows where they're Mm -hmm. playing in front of like 15 people and they're nobodies and all of a sudden like what the fuck happened yeah you know but think about how many artists that came out around that time that never really got looked because it was just now you're releasing good albums but you have Nirvana just like casting the shadow over everything Like mm-hmm. everybody's just you know in that presence it's hard when you have a band that's just that good to Indeed stack up yeah. yeah how do you match up to nevermind what t- was the, what was the thing Kurt said he wanted <laughs> to sell as much as goo he wanted to sell half as much as goo and let break down the statistics of that.
2: Goo had sold about 500,000 copies, I think, and they wanted to sell 250 of Nevermind. What a Nevermind sell. 30 million worldwide. <laughs> Unbelievable.
1: <laughs> like, think about that. But that's just like timing, dude. Yeah. Because think about a Nirvana album like that coming out. I mean, you figure it's not underrated today. And I mentioned this to you, Conor, too. Like, Bleach. Like, Bleach mm-hmm. flew under the fucking radar for how long until Nevermind popped up. It was just
0: perfect timing. Well, I didn't know about Bleach until well after I knew about Nirvana. Connor showed me Bleach, and Bleach yeah. is actually my favorite Nirvana album.
2: Yeah, Yeah, Bleach peaked at 89 in, like, the summer of 92. That's like, crazy. Yeah. In its original run, it wasn't, it wasn't on the Billboard charts.
0: And then 10 showed up and fucked the game up.
2: Yeah. Ten sold more in the states than Nevermind, but not globally. Yeah, worldwide. Um. So, what do you besides um Diver Down? What are your favorite? Uh, uh, let's say this. Um. What What are the best? What do you, do you guys have any uh, per decade? Like, do you from the '60s? Do you have any good underrated gyms you want to bring out? For light.
0: My area of expertise kind of really starts in the late 70s and then into the 80s. I don't um, really have anything from the 60s. I got 60s. an album from
1: the 60s. What? And Connor, for some reason, enjoys it more than I do. And Bill, I already know how you feel about this band, so I'm not sure if you can chime in, but it was considered a commercial success in 1969, the Soft Parade by the Doors. Commercial, not, not a bad album. It was com- a, not a commercial, a commercial flop. Oh. because then morrison hotel comes out in 70 and that was supposed to be like their comeback album and morrison hotel didn't even do so well it's, it's a breezy very... listen
2: what it's, it's, so, soft do you enjoy it
1: is just a, an easy album to listen to in the morrison era can you say that the soft parade is better than any other other releases no, so you do it's believe
2: the, it's the morrison era of the doors i mean like the worst is better than most bands of course yeah and i think so about that was soft the... parades
1: an underrated album yeah, because they call it a commercial flop. It's funny because I think me and you debated this and I was like really just not for Soft Parade. And then I went back and gave it a re-listen. And it's actually not as bad, but yeah, when you can stack them up to LA Woman, Morrison Hotel, Waiting for the Sun, Strange Days, and the self-title, it's kind of like if, you, if one had to go. weak compared if, to the other ones. If one had to go. If one had to go, it would be Soft, soft parade, parade
2: for yeah. sure. But because of its status as like the worst Jim Morrison-era Doors album, a lot of people don't give it the time of day. Exactly. And it's worth a couple of listens here and there. Yeah,
1: because I mean, what was it? Uh, Touch Me was like the only one that really like broke out to be like the song and, you know. Yeah, that was the only real big one. Um,
2: all right. What do you got from the 70s, Bill?
0: Um, Actually, I don't have anything in the 70s either. Nothing from the 70s? Nothing from the 70s. Holy um, shit,
2: dude. All right. I got.
1: Black Sabbath, Never Say Die. Ironic. Um, I also have a Black Sabbath album of the '70s as well. Which one? Sabotage. Yeah, that one's better. But I wouldn't consider that as underrated. It compared to how it sold, it didn't go gold until about 22 years after its release. That's very true. 22 years.
2: I bet Never Say Die probably was in the same batch of certifications for them. Yeah. Well, it's like I said, it's Back one then, of those bands and label band or the label used to have to pay. Yeah. To get their shit checked out by R-I-A-A.
1: Well, Sabbath at this point in time, that was like the controversy around the album. They were dealing with a lawsuit around the 75 era. There was an issue going on with Black Sabbath during the time of them actually recording and releasing this album. So they attribute that a lot to not being able to market it correctly and, you know, get the sales that was necessary. But you figure it takes 22 years. I mean, like, that's the thing about certain albums. In hindsight, now they're huge. But you figure in '75, you figure sabotage doesn't go gold until 22 years after its release. I mean, that's crazy. That means it just sat there as like I'll listen to you know Master Reality or even Volume Four. It was just like stagnant. Just
0: sat there. Like for the you know, the casual music fan that would just so happen to stumble onto it. Yeah. There
2: hadn't been a band like Black Sabbath before where they had a new sound like that and they kept going and
1: putting yeah. out albums. It's like Motorhead, just you know like yeah. really pumping out the well, same type of tunes. You have
0: to think too, at that point in time, heavy metal or metal in general wasn't what it is now. Yeah. So it was almost like it took like a niche audience to even want to look for it.
1: Yeah, it's like that cult following. Yeah, like You had to go look for these if you otherwise you weren't going to see them on like a billboard. By technical ecstasy, they were like
2: almost falling off of hard rock like venturing into other territories because like they thought no one cared about this shit anymore and then they started hearing bands in the late 70s come out that yeah, exactly by them and it gave them renewed faith.
0: Well, it's kind of funny too that they decided to go into that like experimental phase even considering the fact that Led Zeppelin Wasn't even getting that. Wasn't getting that experimental. And like, you know, in the grand scheme of things, when people talk about heavy metal and where it came from, they always say Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath are like the you know origins of where this music derived from. And Led Zeppelin stuck stuck to their fucking guns on it.
2: Yeah. You got any other albums from the 70s besides the Sabbath one? Yeah,
1: Ida Wild South by the Allman Brothers, their second studio album. Oh, yeah. And this is the same thing what you were mentioning. All I got is Edie Peach. Van Halen, Yeah, well, the self-title as well, but the reason why it was because of the time that they released it. At this point in time, they had the self-title, which was developing them, but right around this time in 71, Mm -hmm. they released their live at the Fillmore uh, recording and that is one of the we want to talk about live yeah, recordings it's like one of the best Holy concerts, fuck, All dude. It it's ever. so good, yeah. but you figure Idlewild South had Midnight Rider on it. It's in 1970, it's the Allman Brothers are still getting established, but this album just like flew under the fucking radar.
2: Brothers and Leonard Skinner were my first concert, yeah.
1: Well, that's another one too. Second that's Helping, pretty cool.
0: Second Helping flew under Dwayne the
2: radar. Was, or one of the Allman Brothers is still there or something. <laughs> I
1: forget, I was like 11. Go, yeah, Dwayne, Dwayne's been dead for it's some Talking
0: about time. fucking Leonard Skinner, that, that's really crazy about Second Coming, too, considering the fact that everyone... Second Helping. Yeah, second, helping? Are second Coming, whatever, whatever the fucking second helping. Uh, Leonard Skinner album was. Well, yeah, yeah the Second Pronounce Leonard thing.
1: Skinner, and then you have a Second Helping.
0: Yeah. It's crazy about Second Helping, though, because that album has the song that everybody knows Leonard Skinner by. Of course. Sweet Home Alabama. Yeah, come on. Say, say your Neil Young thing. Well
2: <laughs> Neil Young had written the song Alabama and put it on his album. Uh or no, I guess Southern Man came first. Um he wrote Southern Man, which was on After the Gold Brush. Okay. And then he came out with Alabama, which was on Harvest, which was like the biggest selling album of seventy-two or seventy-three. It was huge. Oh shit. And those two songs. Southern man and Harvest or Alabama's were not well liked by Leonard Skinner with their (laughs) detailing of uh, violence against African-Americans in the American South by Uh, whites and um, sweet home Alabama was written in response to Neil Young taking a stand on that.
0: (laughs) We heard Mr. Young sing about
2: it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that The southern man (laughs)
0: don't need him around (laughs) anyhow. Son, you a Neil Young.
1: (laughs) Now you're getting underrated albums, though, and Bill, I'm sure you've probably got some for the 80s. Oh, yeah. Um, The 80s was huge. There was so much going on in the 80s cuz you still had bands relevant from even the 60s trying to like put out later mm-hmm. work. You had bands from the 70s that were peaking in the 80s and then you also had the tail end of the 80s like transitioning into that 90s vibe. Yeah. There's so many great albums that came out in the 80s that people are just kind of like had to go back. That's what I like wanted to really establish with this idea this topic is like there's so many albums that are probably widely known now but you had to go look for them.
0: Yeah. yeah exactly. You wouldn't
1: have known about them otherwise because they didn't have the big commercial success that like, you know, for instance, Nevermind had and shit like that. So with um I was saying before too with the idea, you know, transitioning if you go through the decades, the eighties was a huge Decade of music that probably flew under the radar because you figure, as I mentioned, with uh, certain bands polluted and flooded with
0: new people. Well, because
1: you have the 60s bands that are trying to stay relevant, you have 70s bands that are probably most of them peaking at this point and starting to slip off, and then you have all these new acts that are emerging that are going to wind up setting the pace for music for the next few decades to come. So many artists came out in the 80s, and so many were like, you know, thriving in the 80s that were established prior, but there's so much music in that decade that just. And that's the thing with this whole topic. It's not so much that it didn't sell well or it's not huge today, but at the point in time, like these are albums that you had to like look for. You weren't yeah. gonna see them on a billboard, you weren't gonna see them like posted at a record store, you know, all over the place in big market value. Some of these albums, like, you just had to go look for. And I'm sure Bill, you know, there's plenty of bands that you could yeah. probably contact. Actually, up from I have time, one
0: that kind of sticks out. Have you ever heard of the band Vixen? Negative. They sing that song "Edge of a Broken Heart." It's a female band. Negative. I've been living on the edge of a broken heart. Oh, yeah, no, I know that you song. know that song. Yeah. That song, dude, was huge. But the album itself, fucking Trash. flopped. Like, um, it only reached number forty-one on the Billboard 200. Actually, it didn't even. It the only place where it broke forty was in Germany.
2: East or west. Uh.
0: Um it
2: that
0: <laughs> its peak position was only thirty-nine. Um in Sweden it peaked at forty seven and in the UK only sixty-six. But that song, dude, was so fucking good. And as a single it did very well, but the album itself just didn't do anything at all.
2: In the '80s, I got uh, the two replacements albums, "Let It Be" and "Tim." I love "Tim." Like, I, uh, it's still crazy to me that, like, even amidst like REM, "Murmur," that like, uh, w- which was successful in the time that this these two albums were coming out, um, it's crazy that there was just no audience at all for yeah. the replacements to find until like the late '80s. By the time they were kind of creatively dried up,
0: I feel like maybe it's because of the time that I heard it. But listening to Tim kind of changed a lot of shit for me, like it really did. I mean, I don't know if they, if people had that same kind of experience by listening to it when it came out. But when I heard Tim for the first time, I was like, "What?"
2: To me, the replacements were kind of like the '80s Nirvana that didn't go the in utero route. Yeah, they like instead of like putting out an in utero type album, which is like what every band in the '90s did, basically mm-hmm. after in utero, they would put out their big mainstream album and then. Yeah. After that, they would kind of like make a more artsy album or whatever to, to like yeah. get up their credibility or whatever. But um, Tim as the follow up to let it let it be was like bigger and more like of a a stab at you know success. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like ten or uh, not ten? Um, Tim. Tim. Um, could have been like. If if Let It Be did get big, Tim would have been bigger. Yeah, And It's, yeah. it's insane that well, let it both be, of them didn't get big.
0: Well, Let It Be was the mo- more successful of the two, wasn't it?
2: Ah, uh, Tim probably sold more just
1: because it had a. They
2: were on Sire.
0: Yeah, for, it's also uh, that music Tim, video so too for big, Bastards
1: of Young that really kind yeah. of propelled them to get at least a mainstream following in some yeah. Small they regard. started picking up steam
2: on college radio for yeah. Tim, but mm-hmm. they could have like. It's crazy they didn't break out at all like REM did with Radio Free Europe and Murmur.
0: And it's strange, too, because of like, I'm not going to say that the replacements were like more simplistic than REM, but I feel like the replacements are like an easier listening type band.
2: Back then, yeah. Especially like Like REM was kind of newer and weirder, Mm -hmm. which might have been why they had success. Yeah. They Um, they needed something new. They stuck out more. Exactly. Um, But.
0: But the replacements, the replacements just, had just it.
2: wrote great songs and exactly. had a great sound yep. and a great voice; like they had the whole the whole package. Um, I think that's all I had for the
0: eighties. I got I got one more. Mm. Um, we have a I am nineties heavy. <laughs> we have a couple people that really love this next artist here, Mister um, Sammy Hagar. Oh God, <laughs> um, his last album, his last solo album, Cabal Waba. No, never said goodbye mm. um it was his lame duck record he was con- he was uh contractually obligated to put out one more album. This was actually during the height of his time with Van Halen because if you remember Van Halen had got him back and or got him Almost in the sounds band
2: like never say die <laughs>
0: <laughs> he um what happened was he had to put out one more album. He was with Van Halen he had been with Van Halen for a couple of years at this point. And um, this album was literally recorded and produced in ten days. The the um it was it was a Sammy solo album. It actually had that song um, Eagles Fly. Yeah, and like that song kind of got a little resurgence when the uh, Eagles won the Super Bowl. I remember hearing that oh. on MMR. I'm like fucking constant <laughs> repeat. <laughs> little known fact: Eddie Van Halen actually played bass on the album. Okay, and provided the guitar solo for that was nice Eagles Fly. Yeah, it's very nice of him. It's actually kind of funny too, if you think about it, because um, Michael Anthony and Sammy Hagar are like fucking, they're tight, like they're they're fucking boys, like they're joined at the hip. And Sammy Hagar didn't have Michael Anthony play on the album; he had Eddie play, which is kind of it's probably
2: before they were boys like that.
0: Yeah, before the 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 split took place. But um yeah, it's just another album dude that's that's actually pretty good and the singles off it were pretty good and it just didn't
1: didn't do well. Didn't
0: do well. But I also think that's due to the success of Van Van Hagar. Like at this point in time, 5150 had already been out and OU812 was coming out. So, I think OU812 came out in 1988. So, like I'm I'm pretty sure the success of this album was hindered by the, you know, the megalodon or behemoth that is van halen yeah is there anything else for the 80s oh yeah anything else what do you got the
1: whole metal scene What all of it starting in 1980 with iron maiden self title literally released in 80 killers in 81 the heart the highest performance they did was in 1980 in the release they ranked uh peak position at four in the united kingdom they were 36 in sweden they had no united states record you know breaking anything in the years between 1980 and 2013. Hmm. Not a single they didn't make a single US chart. And then that was that new wave of British heavy metal because later on Rolling Stone actually listed this as the 13th um, greatest album on the 100 uh, greatest metal albums of all time. 13th oh, wow. that peaked. Um but then also, too, you had Killers that came out in 81, which is my personal favorite. And it's funny. Yeah. These albums like now have that success later on. The highest they peaked, Killers, was actually in uh, Sweden at 11. They peaked at 41 in New Zealand, Germany, Austria, Finland. The United States, they didn't peak until 81. Billboard 200, they peaked at 78. Oh, wow. And Iron Maiden Killers in 1981, that goes to show you timing-wise. You know, because then after that, 83, Show No Mercy comes out by Slayer alongside yeah. months after "Kill 'Em All came out. Now, here's the funny thing about Show No Mercy. It was their highest selling album on Metal Blade Records because they, saw, they sold between 15,500 and 20,000 copies. <laughs> the average for Metal Blade Records at that time for a highest selling band was 5,000 copies That's in crazy. 1983. So you figure these albums, and this is the funny thing with Slayer, people hear Rain and Blood, they forget that there's two albums before that. Yeah. Iron Maiden, they listen to the Bruce Dickinson era. They don't even remember this Paul Deano era. There's yeah, two albums true prior, too. but it's like you just have the Eddie logo, and that's what allowed these albums to stay relevant. Yeah. But you figure like you're peaking at best Iron Maiden Killers at 78 in the United States in 1981. This was like groundbreaking music at yeah, the time it was. to transcend the whole metal scene.
0: But then it's also funny to think about what Iron Maiden was to become
1: after that and It's act, but it's like Bruce Dickinson took this light and just you you totally like nobody really hears these tunes, and nobody. And that's another thing you had to go back because for the longest time, when I heard Number of the Beast, when I heard Ace is High, I didn't realize like Killers and the self titled Phantom of the Opera, Mm -hmm. Murders in the Room org. I had never heard these songs,
0: yeah. It's crazy,
1: you know. I mean. And the fact like, you know, Show No Mercy being 1983 in December after Kill 'Em All was released in July the same year, and you figure 15,000 records for them was like commercially successful. So yeah, with the idea of them being on Metal Blade, they were only on Metal Blade for their first two, and then they transferred over to Def Jam for Def Rain Jam Blood. boy! Yeah, Rick Rubin did most of their albums, all their big yeah, work, South Believe of Heaven, Seasons the of the Abyss. Um, <laughs> but then that created this whole genre, because I'm not going to get too in-depth with what that also created, but then in uh, 1987 Scream, Bloody Gore by Death came out Mm -hmm. and here's the thing there's another like cult following death releases this album in the wake of like bands like possessed and venom and all these other like extreme metal acts but they created a whole fucking genre because that's the history that goes it's death's metal they didn't know what to call it
0: honestly I feel like people skim over death for whatever fucking reason it's
1: just not their brand yeah I just don't get it but every single album they release it's like they get
0: better with each album Literally, even control denied. Oh yeah, I said it once on this podcast, and I'll say it again. If you have never dove into the death discography, you're doing album. yourself a total injustice. There's a
1: band that covered Painkiller, right? Yeah, yes. on the Sound of Perseverance, and that's probably one of my favorite covers of all time. Which yeah.
2: brings us to the '90s. Yes, yes, yep. All right. What do you got? Um, I've my main ones I've got here are. Adora Machina by Smashing Pumpkins. Great album. Ragged mm-hmm. Glory by Neil Young. And um, Sketches for My Sweetheart the Drunk by Jeff Buckley. Oh, yeah. Did you ever listen to that, Steve? Yes, I did. Yeah, because I really liked that album. I yeah. didn't really get into Jeff Buckley until you showed me him. Like, It's possible that that's a double album. It's all the shit that he was working on basically when he died yeah. to make his second album. And I've even heard some stuff that he was maybe going to uh, scrap it. And start anew again, but um, I think if you cut that down to one album, it might even be better than Grace. Really, that's yeah. crazy. Cause Grace is yeah, Grace is Legendary, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then adore Machina. Adore is great. It's
1: funny because adore we- is like. <laughs> maybe not on the level of the first three but it, no. it's really good yeah no it is weird because I, we were talking because you saw Smashing Pumpkins so I went back and listened to like Ish and like Melancholy as well as um, you know Zymi's Dream and then that was the thing you brought up a door, and I, I was funny because when you said that I didn't realize like there's the song Ava Adore that's like one of the singles off of it and I couldn't relate if this album was actually called it but then I went back yeah, I downloaded the album and I listened to it one night and I was like and it's funny because it doesn't have that same edge, but it's like a nah. total 90s
2: album. I think Jimmy Chamberlain's not on the album. They use like all drum machines. Oh, um, really? That's crazy. Jimmy Chamberlain overdosed with or now Jonathan Melvoin, their touring keyboardist on the Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness tour, had been doing drugs with uh, the drummer Jimmy Chamberlain earlier in the night and the keyboardist overdosed and died and billy corgan kicked jimmy chamberlain the drummer. as uh, a result oh wow and so jimmy chamberlain wasn't on a door and that kind of triggered the like uh electronic gothic ish sounds of a door but then jimmy chamberlain was back for machina yeah the one after which is kind of it was like a return to form but there's still a lot of that like uh Almost like that dark industrial gothic, yeah, industrial yeah. vibe left in it yeah. um, down on the upside. It's it's not like groundbreaking really or anything, but it's a solid listen. Like if you like Soundgarden, if you like Kim Thale and Chris Cornell's guitar work and Chris Cornell's voice yeah, that and flies all the other under the radar a lot,
1: especially being in, you know, with bad motor finger and super unknown. Because that fell in between both of those, right? No, it
2: came after Super Unknown. It was so their it came after so so Super
1: Unknown, and then that came out yeah. before they released, what, in 2012, but it was from was no, it?
2: Yeah, it was from 96, though. Like yeah, Grunge was kind of like whoop, a good bit past its heyday yeah. and down on the upside. It debuted at number two and went platinum, but, I mean, you don't hear about it. Nah, like You hear dude. about Super Unknown or any of the uh, dirt, whatever, yeah. you know. Um. yeah I think that that was all I had for the 90s Rag, oh yeah, Ragged Glory that's like sandwiched in between two of his later day classics Freedom with Rockin' in the Free World and yeah. uh, Harvest Moon of course you had to bring that up yeah I mean that's a, it's probably his second um, best 90s album after Harvest Moon yeah so it's definitely worth listening it's like more it's a crazy horse album it's rockin' yeah, yeah. Mm. You guys got 90s picks?
0: The only thing I really have is Sap, the Alice of Chains EP.
1: It, I wouldn't take it over Jar of Flies, but no. Dude, I'm not going to lie. Good. It's it's like when we said with the Doors, their whole discography, especially in the Lane area and as well as the Jim Morrison era, they're all great. But yeah. Sap, honestly, if one had to go, it would be Sap. It would be a hard pull, but you compare it to the self title, you compare it to Jar of Flies. Even if you just well, put Jar of Flies next to it as EP status. Well,
0: here's the thing, though. If you think about Sap, it had way crazy songs in there. Like, it had Right Turn, had mm. Chris Cornell on the fucking yep. song. Yeah. You had Brother, which had Nancy and and wilson from heart yeah like it was just a good ass album It, yeah, had it was a, a lot good, of stuff on it
2: it was a good little release yeah it had a cool cover i remember i, I mean remember i used to always see it in the stores yeah. and going, i want to get that yeah look.
0: well it also makes you think like what if they didn't ever release sap and they put those songs on jar of flies or dirt they just released yeah, maybe dirt was sided. like 16
2: or 17 songs or they
0: just polished it production wise and yeah. made that a full length Can you imagine if Dirt
2: was just like 16 or 17 songs and all those songs from Sap were on it and produced better,
0: Yeah, well, here's the thing. If you think about it... That would
2: have have really elevated Dirt.
0: Like, Got Me Wrong would be really fucking good if it was like full production, like Dirt, or even Brother or fucking Right Turn. Like, dude, could you imagine if that was, like, an Alice in Chains, like, heavy type song? Like, you either see, one of those two would be fucking insane. Like that
2: dark, like, angry chair vibe to yeah. it, you know? You would see Dirt being elevated to, like, Super Unknown 10 and Nevermind Status more. Yeah. If that was, like, an epic album like that. Like,
0: imagine, like, if it started out, like, like, Lane, like... Inside, always trying to yeah. get back inside. And then you kind of have like, like awesome.
1: kind of like brother in there to pick it up a little bit. Yeah, just got more of that happier tune. You were always yeah. so. But it's just yeah, it's a shame because Sap does really. I, I talk about this all the time when I rate. Uh, Alice in Chains album Sap always winds up at the bottom I'll change my top I'll have like a yeah. Jar of Flies moment I'll have a facelift moment I'll have a dirt moment self title the self title never really gets to the top in my eyes I like, like self title
0: a lot it's not in my eyes as good as facelift or dirt but yeah. there's select tracks off of self title that I like more than certain tracks Of course, off I feel like I too. like the
1: self title and facelift about the same really Yeah. Yeah, see, the facelift really got back to me because of songs like See a Sorrow and Real Thing, and it ain't like that. Like certain songs I don't really. Bleed the Freak. Bleed the Freak, dude.
0: Well, actually. Just the way it opens with We Die Young, dude. Well, let's put into perspective, basically, almost the whole Alice in Chains discography. Yeah. Like, they didn't sell as much as, you know, Soundgarden or Nirvana or yeah. even Pearl Jam. Like, they were kind of like the black sheep, but they kind of made it that way, too. It's like Stone I would Temple say Pilots Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, Chains probably too.
2: sold about the same amount, but yeah. Soundgarden just had a higher peak. Exactly. But the yeah. thing was, Alice in Chains broke out way earlier in their career. Yeah. Like, like Man, Soundgarden had out, three what? major releases before they yeah. were popular that didn't sell much.
0: Well when did uh Facelift came out nineteen ninety, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they were they were well before. Like um, the like the only grunge thing basically was Bleach. Like Ultra yeah.
2: Mega OK, Louder Than Love, yeah. Screaming Life, Fop. None of those are like uh platinum or anything. You know, like yeah. whereas like everything Alice in Chains did in the nineties is pretty much platinum.
0: Yeah, but I feel like actually all of their albums could have done way more. Yeah. super
2: unknown just had a higher peak yeah like well, super, super unknown, unknown sold like five giant million songs. copies i think i think dirt's like four times Platinum, though it's not too far behind super if you unknown. think
0: of dirt if they were to have put like man in the box on dirt Alice as the, Chains as the main had a lot signal. more
2: singles than soundgarden too, i yeah. feel like on the radio yeah but
0: i mean like as far as like a monumental single goes like black hole sun which yeah. really blew that up. Like yeah. if they were to have Man the Box come out on Dirt. Yeah. If you break facelift, it down, like
1: like Nirvana's yeah. Bloom" to you know Soundgarden's "Black Hole" song, exactly. "Alice in Chains," and that's funny because you could have done you know, Rotten Apple. Like there are certain yeah. songs that could have been that slow, more, you know, singleish songs Dude, but never I, really I hit have very like strong opinions
0: there. on how Alice and Chains kinda got like the fucking shaft and the whole grunge thing. Like you never like you never hear like, oh my God, Lane Staley was such an innovator. He really did so much. But it's like Oh, Kurt Cobain, he was so fucking great. I'm going to just stop. <laughs> yeah. A- I, I, I don't know. I have strong feelings about how Alice and Chains might have been one of the best bands to come out of that scene. And they're definitely the most underappreciated ones. What's
1: well, it's funny because everyone has that smaller cult following. Typically, you'll see like kirk Obain at head of the pack and then you'll see kind of like scott wyland kind of like way back there with like andrew wood and as well yeah. as like lane and chris kind of falling in the middle there and i mean there's always that hierarchy but i have people that same thing like megadeth and metallica like i like alice james way better than all of them some people are just that's just more their style you like alice and james better than who no i'm saying some um, people will say that yeah Now, but um what are your 90s picks steve i got two specifically new adventures in hi-fi by REM that was released in 96 one of my favorite REM albums yeah you showed me the song leave that song leave is it's so different for them but it's so fucking good like it's it's like they branched off this new direction but it wasn't awkward
2: and even that single bittersweet me like yeah Yeah. it's that's like completely like typical REM almost like it's like crystallized singleized. REM but it's so good. And it's
1: at the tail end of the 90s hitting 96 cuz we were just talking about that as well when like grunge scene was dying down but you still had REM kind of float in that alternative boat and they yep. were able to kind of stay relevant in their own sense. This
2: was really the last
1: of REM. Though. Oh yeah. Um Bill Berry left the band after New Adventures yep. and Hi-Fi and then they were
2: kind of a three-legged dog after that. Um yeah. They put out just like middling albums until their last two kind of. I mean they I like Reveal, I like
1: Up. Um that's and then last two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh my second choice, so i have to bring this band back up. Nineteen ninety was when Tool released their first studio album being Undertow. <laughs> and it's funny because this album now being hailed in like the cult following that is Tool fans where it's just the hype and that everything's going on bringing back the relevance but you figure 1990 like they didn't they weren't like Nirvana they weren't like Rage Against the Machine they weren't like Fear Factory they weren't like Korn and all these other bands that were soon to be established in that scene and Tool kind of just took this whole weird direction because if you listen to Opiate and Undertow and then the progression with Anima Lateralis going into 10,000 days Undertow's so weird because they have a couple tracks on there that are long like Disgustipation at the end four degrees but then they had these songs like crawl away bottom sober prison sex all intolerance i mean these heavy metal but Maynard's vocals the weirdness vibe and just it didn't it's weird because it didn't spawn anything tool kind of was like their own entity i mean you had depeche mode you had certain bands that had that style but tool Mm kind of remained their own entity and you know
0: it it was just one of those situations to where like, they came out at a perfect time to be able to get their following that they have. Oh, yeah. But they were also a little too early to be able to gain the mainstream success that they would later on get with oh, their yeah. later releases, which kind of sucks because if it were to have been in a different circumstance to where that first album would have sold more, they probably would have put out more albums. Yeah, yeah. if Opiate would have
2: been broken out and then Anima came out. Oh, yeah. Like, like say, like, Enema yeah, came went, out like, in double platinum. Like yeah. Yeah. or like triple platinum, like say it was like about as big as like the Rage Against the Machine album. Yeah. Like uh I'm not even the biggest tool fan, but if they could have done three off the first one, they probably would have done six off Enema. Yeah. And then probably like Seven or eight off of Lateral. Lateral. Latter- yeah, it's just
1: funny, um, though, because they were big buddies with, like, fucking rage. And, like, Zach Delaroca is seen in, like, shows with them. You know, mm-hmm. Tom Morello, they have that infamous picture of him at a tool show in the late 80s. Well, Tom Morello
0: just- played bass for. I or Maynard or Tom Morello somebody played bass for one of their other played,
1: bands. Yeah, they were in like a band together, I believe. At Maynard was the last to get affiliated. Adam Jones and Tom Morello were kind of doing stuff together. Paul Diamore yep. was the original bassist in Tool, but Tom Morello was like a part with Adam Jones was able to introduce him to most of these guys. Just kind of found each other. Yeah, um, but it's just ironic because again. You figure this album comes out in 90. One of the biggest things that sucked for them was uh, the video for Sober. I think Kurt Cobain came out and, and like all those guys were ripping tool. Like, cause the Sober video ripped off this like old indie weird flick and adam jones was a you know film school so he used that idea to create this video and they got a lot of backlash from it because you know how kurt is like kurt knew a lot of weird shit he so called they, them out on that oh yeah he hated fucking tool he I
0: hated is so fucking great yeah he hated I mean, tool he man stopped.
1: and they straight called them out like yo you ripped off the-. they called out the weird fucking does director
2: that's t- what eddie van halen does in nirvana yeah, let's wait. What? Kirk Cobain did twice what Eddie Van Halen did in Van Halen.
0: I don't get what you're. I don't get Kirk
2: Cobain played guitar, wrote the songs, and sang all, all, right, all Eddie Van Halen.
0: Could hold do the, the, play fucking, the phone. fucking guitar. <laughs> all right, this is going to yeah. turn
1: into a long rant.
0: <laughs> no, let's what? just get through this real quick. <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> we're going to skip the two thousands because most people Kurt today greater than holy Eddie fuck. Van Halen,
0: okay, Rolling Stone.
1: <laughs> You get, like, X-Files music behind there, like, Kirk Cobain
0: sold more than Eddie Van Halen <laughs> played guitar.
1: So, wait, to wrap it up, I think we should all pick one album.
0: My recommendation for an underrated album that should have been huge that wasn't was a Try to Use a Death Grip on Yesterday. I feel like it, it got a very – it got the fucking shaft big time. For me,
2: let it be. Yeah. Let it be. Should have been – should have broke out. I will
1: dare. Yeah. I agree. I'm gonna say sabotage, Sabbath should have done way better than it did at the time that it was came out. I think I it should concur. have took twenty two years to go gold. Yeah, that's
0: ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. To only go gold. Yeah.
1: Twenty two years.
2: Speaking of breaking out, we have the EDM movie, which EDM's been trying very hard to break out for like the past ten years now.
0: Yep. The
2: what we started.
0: What we started was our suggestion last week. Um it's it's basically just a movie that chronicles the the rise and current rise of electronic dance music EDM raves the whole nine. Um, it focuses on basically two people, um, Carl Cox, who had been a DJ since the seventies, um, and the I, Dutch I
2: Space Ibiza, yeah. yeah, the club,
0: and. Um, It also chronicles the rise of the kid from the Netherlands, uh, Martin Garrix, whose big song was uh, off that up, Animals, yeah. yeah. And And it's crazy because, I'm not going to say it turned me into an EDM fan, but it definitely made me less ignorant to what it was.
1: Yeah, I wish they went in... uh, Yeah, they just use a computer.
0: Yeah, it's not... It's like... I'm not going to say I'm going to go out and start listening to, you know, Martin Garrix by any means. But seeing what he or what he did to create this music and what he put himself through in order to do it and how much time and everything he's devoted to, you know, his craft, really. I feel like most EDM or DJs, whatever, I feel like they do get a bad rep because it's like, oh, well, you're ripping this off. And it's like, well, this kid wrote that song, Animals. He wrote it. And, and it's like really you know, the it's idea. It's not his fault that yeah, it blew up.
1: Like the underrated aspect of when you see the difference in talents between a guitarist in the 60s and a guy that's currently making, you know, uh, EDM or house music, even so today. Exactly. It's a different level of talent because, again, you're more so constructing these songs, yet you have digital aspects and how you create them, but you don't realize it's a different level of talent. It's yeah. so hard to compare the two. Like, oh, well, you couldn't do what Jimmy Page did. Well, Jimmy Page probably couldn't do what you're doing. Exactly. It's at the same, you know, it's just kind of like getting a more of appreciation that actually is more to it than what you think.
0: And the one thing that I found interesting is they barely even mentioned Skrillex at all. Well, yeah, that was Avicii. what
2: I was going to say. What was the for problem Calvin with Harris, the movie, for yeah. me was what they didn't mention. Like, yeah. there was no Bass Nectar. There was no Pretty no. Lights. They, no they barely Skrillex, touched really, on Dead Mouse. Yeah, like, Harris, all the yeah. stuff that was actually, like, really popular and, like, mm-hmm. building a f- huge fan bases, they yep. didn't touch at all. Like, Martin Garrix, like, yeah, that song's good and everything, but, like, yeah. he's got, like, two or three hits that... He's, you know, he's really young. Like, yeah, he headlined Ultra, but like,
0: I feel like they didn't put Skrillex in just because he's like that cliche guy. You know what I mean? I think they, I think they were trying to do with this movie was take it away from what people believe EDM is. Like for a while there, like Skrillex was like the face of this type of music. Yeah, and I think they wanted to, you know, go far from that. I mean, all in all, I thought it was a pretty decent movie. Like I said, it didn't turn me into a fan of the type of music, but it definitely made me less ignorant to what it is. Yeah, it
1: was enough to keep your attention. Exactly.
0: And, you know, it was an hour and a half watch, and uh, I wasn't bored at all. I mean, the beginning was a little slow, the first 10, 15 minutes. But, like, after it, like, kicked in, like, I I was bored towards the end. Did you?
2: Yeah. I kind of found myself, like not paying attention as much and maybe the last like 10, 20 minutes.
0: All in all, I thought, I thought it was a pretty decent movie. Um, I'm going to give this a fucking solid seven and a half out of 10.
2: I'm thinking
0: 6.2. Yeah. Yeah. Why
2: 6.2? I felt like they hyped it as a, what, uh, as like a whole EDM genre documentary. Yeah. And it wasn't that at all. It was really just a couple of artists.
0: Yeah. yeah
1: and a little bit of a look at like ultra, I guess. I don't know. Yeah.
0: What are you, uh, what do you think? So I'm going to
1: balance Connor out. Cause I was going to say a seven, but I'm going to say a 6.8 to balance out his 6.2 to give it a solid 13 between the two of us. Um, Reason being is like, as we mentioned, like a lot of the artists that were more so familiar of in the kind of like limelight weren't yeah. so much described. So it was a different aspect of what you're getting from it. But the other thing about that was appreciation value, like me living in Florida during Ultra Festival 2013, like I kind of was only familiar through that scene for people that enjoyed it. Yeah. So this was, again, it wasn't so far fetched to like hear this stuff and see this stuff. So it wasn't like groundbreaking information. Mm-hmm. But again, it was decent enough. It was a well made film. Again, it missed some points that I was hoping to see kind of being like the basic knowledge of EDM for myself. But, yeah, I mean, I'm sure for somebody who's like super into the genre, I would definitely recommend it to them.
0: Yeah. And like I said, it didn't make me a fan of it. It just made me understand it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, our combined scores make it a 6.8 or 68 percent out of 100. Wow. So um, Rotten Tomatoes. That's Tomato- too far off. Yeah, it's not crazy off. I mean Rotten Tomatoes gave it eighty percent, an audience score of ninety nine percent, which I thought was kind of crazy. Yeah, you usually see differences like that. It's kinda yeah. Yeah. It, it's definitely biased. Yeah. Um IMDB gave it a seven point four out of ten. Uh Common Sense Media gave it a three out of five. Yeah. Which is 60 percent. Yeah. yeah. Um the reviews are from Tim Campbell from the Minneapolis Star Tribune. Uh Beyond the history lesson, this film adds a personal element by focusing on jockeys from two generations, British turntable legend Carl Cox and youth Dutch phenomenon Martin Garrix. Um, Andrew Baker from Variety says, what works in a nightclub set doesn't always work in a film as electronic dance music documentary. What we started demonstrates pretty accurate. Accurate. Um." Ben Kinzenberg from the New York Times says they gush about the genre's milestones and metaphorically high five another one while trying not to bore the uninitiated into a drugless stupor. That's also pretty accurate. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, uh, you can't argue with it, it, it that the, all these are pretty, the, they're pretty fucking relevant to what we think about this movie. But um, Yeah. Let's roll into our personal suggestions. What do you guys got?
2: Connor. I got um Thug Life by Thug Life. <laughs> um, Word. So this was a super group Tupac did with um Big Psych, Macadocious Mo Prime, the Rated R. Yeah, and Tupac. Um a lot of people probably know how long will they mourn me. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, this is actually a pretty good album. It's like just a little different uh, diversion for him. It was in between Strictly and uh, Me Against the World, I think. Yeah, and it's from '94. Sold. It went gold, but it um it didn't it didn't even peak in the top forty. It peaked at forty two, which was like you know Tupac in '94. You'd think he would definitely be in the top forty, you know.
0: Yeah. What do you got? Uh what you got, Steven?
1: So uh just due to the uh recent discussion we had on this day, I'm gonna do the recorded nineteen seventy live album, The Island of Wight, by uh the Who. Again, the Isle of White Festival. It was recorded in August of nineteen seventy. This album actually didn't release until nineteen ninety six. Um, but again, being a fan of live music, if you listen to live albums, some of them are rough to get through, but if you're a semi fan of the who, or even a who fan in general that hasn't heard this, um, I definitely, this is coming as a highly recommended album: live at the Isle white festival, 1970 by the who nice.
0: Um, my suggestion this week is the 1992 album from Alice in Chains dirt, (laughs) (laughs) um, Dirt is another one of those albums, dude, from start to finish. Dude. It's just a good yes. fucking album. Just how them bones comes in. Yeah. Um, my standout Damn, track. That
1: river, yeah. Damn that river's fucking awesome. Such a good yeah. opening track for live shows, too.
0: My standout track would probably have to be Down in a Hole. And this is my reasoning on it. Down in a Hole, in my opinion, with Alice and Chains, is like the perfect example of Lane Staley and Jerry Cantrell's vocal abilities and harmonizing together, especially in like the bridge section of the song, like when they're saying like two different phrases and shit, it just works. Yeah, like it, it's just a good example. Of it's also to song. this
1: album, like really was detailing Lane's life at this. Yeah, point. every song. I mean, it's just such a depressive album, with, but with like these great, hard felt songs. Yeah, like,
0: I mean, don't get me wrong, I, you could pick out any song on this album and suggest oh, yeah. it.
1: Yeah, you could just throw a dart at the track list and listen to any them. Exactly. All right.
0: Actually, you know what? Listen to the whole album. Yeah. But like I said, for, for us, Down in a Hole would be the standout track for this album.
1: Put it this way. If you're a music fan, you listen to the song Down in a Hole, and it doesn't intrigue you to listen to the rest of the album
0: there's something wrong there's with something you. Fucking you're wrong not a fan you. of music. Yeah,
1: I'm actually not crazy about Down in a Hole. But you're telling me right now if you had never heard that song before, if you heard that, you wouldn't go listen to the rest of the album? No, Down in a Hole when I was young actually did help me want to buy Dirt. Yeah. 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 So that's the aspect of it. Yeah. But I, as a, like a frequent listener, yeah, it kind of gets a little...
0: Yeah, it gets old. It right, definitely it's gets old.
1: Like, uh, Rain When
0: I Die. Rain When I Die is pretty fucking good. Great song. Well, the only real song off that album that got old for me was Wood. Of course. Because well, you hear it everywhere. Is Junkhead on dirt? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Junkhead's good. What's well, my truck? of Well,
1: it's also too
0: Wood being in uh, Angry Singles. Chair. Singles, yeah. Angry, Angry Chair is the only Lane Staley written Completely. song on Singly. that album.
2: Yeah. 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 And it's their only single. Yeah. yeah. That whole I song. Am. That's cool. Great
0: album. Our suggestion this week for our... Movie suggestion, rather, is um the movie This is Spinal Tap by Rob Reiner. <laughs> um, We're going to go into detail about this movie next week, so make sure you watch it. I mean, and if you haven't watched it already, I mean, it's it's a fucking classic yeah, movie. Yeah, put it this way.
1: If you're listening to a music podcast and you haven't seen This <laughs>
2: is Spinal Tap. Like, Crank up this podcast to 11.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure that phrase alone is just... This one goes A to lot. eleven. Yeah, why not just make ten the louder, loudest one? True, because this one's got eleven. This has got eleven.
2: <laughs> it's, it's bigger, <laughs> it's higher, it's louder.
0: That—that's
1: literally where that whole saying came from, and some people don't even realize that. Yeah, exactly. It's weird. Fucking
2: Metallica stole the black album idea from them. Of course. Anyway, yeah, we gotta save all this shit for next <laughs> yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: All right, guys. Well, that about wraps it up for this week. You know, keep it dialed to eleven, and we'll see you next time this is rage against mainstream signing off also I'm keep Bill it left of the dial this is Connor Steve <laughs> I'm Bill again have a good night guys thanks for listening